The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new edition of Tyler's Takedowns. It is now the second episode, and I am just so ecstatic to be recapping AEW All In 2023 that emanated live from Wembley Stadium in the UK, London, England. And before I discuss All In, let me tell you about ways you can listen to this brand new program called Tyler's Takedowns. You can simply visit Spotify and Apple Podcasts, those platforms to check out new editions of this program as new episodes get released. But I'm just so happy to be a part of the SJP World Media Podcasting Network team, and I want to thank them as always. But there's always so much wrestling to discuss, and I wanted to give you a little bit of my perspective on All Elite Wrestling's all-in pay-per-view that made a lot of history, at least as far as attendance records. And I'm not going to get into what transpired backstage. I may talk about that after I get done with this review. Uh, But let's get right into it, shall we? Because this is going to be a little bit lengthier as it is a pay-per-view. I will say Wembley looked amazing with the stage and ring and full production. So I want to give the AEW production staff so much credit. This was a spectacle, and I'm so happy for Tony Khan and company, literally, for being able to pull this off. Wembley Stadium, it's historic, and it comes with a just monumental reputation. And uh, AEW did a phenomenal job with the different camera angles, the crowd, the way the people looked. You could tell it was uh, sold out. I mean, this was shattering records, and I want to give AEW their props and, and respect them. That was the positives. Just everything looked immense. I mean, it, it felt special. There was importance, in other words, to the AEW all-in pay-per-view. And here's a disclaimer. I did not get a chance to review the zero-hour YouTube special. It's nothing against the talent involved. It's just that I went ahead and skipped to the main card. So speaking of uh, the matches, let's get to the opening contest that featured the real world champion CM Punk taking on the Ring of Honor World Television Champion, the King of Television, Samoa Joe. And I'll tell you, I was not privy to Ring of Honor. There there was a, a large period of time where I took time away from viewing any uh, kind of professional wrestling, even though I'm such a fan of professional wrestling and independent wrestling for that matter. I did not get to appreciate or respect the uh, trilogy that CM Punk and Samoa Joe had. I, I saw highlights and saw a little bit here and there as it pertains to their matches. Uh, so it, it was truly unbelievable, the chemistry that these two had and the entertainment they provided. I mean, it, it was traditional wrestling, but it had evolved. It was uh, still new to everyone, and it it took on a cult following with uh, CM Punk and Samoa Joe. So they're kind of reliving that, I guess, in some ways with this first matchup. And I got to tell you, I love the camera shots. I'll go back to production just real quickly. It made the event just feel 
unbelievable. But to get back to Punk and Joe, I, I made a note of it. I actually sometimes will top up my notes, and then other times we'll actually write them down. So this is really my take. You've heard that before, Tyler's take, cheap plug for an older venture I was a part of that realistically got me my start and, and what brought me to SJP World Media along with some other great podcasts. Punk tested Joe early from a mental standpoint. Uh, Samoa Joe began attacking Punk, and I enjoyed the chopping battle between the two. When speaking of CM Punk and Samoa Joe, Joe moved away when Punk tried a high-risk move to the outside, which if you watch enough YouTube clips or see enough of Samoa Joe matches, you will witness and get an opportunity to see how perfect this is. You got to go back and watch the match between Punk and Joe, where a lot of guys will look to hit a high-risk move, and Samoa Joe just sidesteps him. He moves out of the way. It's just tremendous, and uh, it was on point here. The real-world champion CM Punk gets busted open, and I believe Samoa Joe was busted open earlier. If you keep reading the headlines and what transpired before this match even got underway at All In, I mean, you expected physicality. Everyone received just that. Punk makes fun of Hogan. Joe returns the favor, does the the whole uh, gesture with the, you know, the hand to the ear, getting the, the fans behind him like Hulkamania used to do, uh, Hulk Hogan with uh, the WrestleManias. All the, the big pay-per-view uh, events where Hogan ruled. I mean, he was a box office attraction and was the man, whether you like the Hulkster or not. And Punk honoring Terry Funk with the spinning toe hold was a nice touch. I wrote that down. CM Punk retains his real-world championship via the Pepsi Plunge. He's won numerous encounters with, by the way. Uh, so overall, a solid matchup. I'm not going to give it a star rating. I just felt like it did what it needed to do. It accomplished what it had to, in other words. And, and Samoa Joe and CM Punk we're able to just go out there and have a fantastic matchup. I, I get people viewed the pacing as a little slow, but to me, it was a, that was fine. I, I did not look at the tempo as much as I did what they were trying to tell from a storyline basis when uh, referencing Punk and Joe. So that was our first matchup. Uh, let's get to the second match. Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, and Kota Ibushi versus Takeshita. I tried to pronunciate his name, the first name of Takeshita, and I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up. So I'm going to save side pal some editing right there. I may have gave him a, a nice blooper. But Takeshita teamed with Jay White and Juice Robinson, some Bullet Club Gold, New Japan Pro Wrestling homages here with all these participants. And the guns are out there with White and Robinson. They've aligned themselves, uh, Austin and Colton Gunn, the sons of Billy Gunn, with Bullet Club Gold. The Keshna flanked by Don Callis. You've always got to watch out for, for Callis in his corner. Like I said, New Japan Pro Wrestling is well represented in this matchup. Robinson has this unique energy that he brings. I, I'm enjoying Juice Robinson's development in AEW. I, I've a little bit aware of his previous career with New Japan. I know he was in NXT under a different name. Uh, very impressed with Juice Robinson thus far. Ibushi and Omega, already they have chemistry. They were a tag team back in New Japan, going way back, especially now as we are 
discussing or I'm discussing, I'm so used to having other people. So part of me, and forgive me if I, I don't use the singular form, uh, I use the plural more often than not, but I digress. Why did Ibushi continue their rivalry? It's action-packed the way the tempo goes after Omega contested Takeshita. JR, Jim Ross, gets aggravated with uh, some of the moves, and I love him for it because Jim Ross will point out the obvious where some of the other commentators may be a little afraid to, and I I get both sides, but I, I love when JR is a little grumpier, or at least that's the perception of Jim Ross on commentary. God bless uh, good old Jim Ross, JR. But he got a little bit of, yeah, miffed, aggravated, if you will. Or so it appeared. Ross states, you know, things like AEW needs to correct. All elite wrestling needs to make corrections as far as how they are portraying the matchup. I think it was with the forearm exchange. And he's like, he, he just had a disagreement with it where Excalibur was kind of more into it. We We all know he's more of a proponent of, of these movesets where it becomes a little monotonous, I think, is what Ross was pointing out. So I, I, I get what JR was saying. And we see Colton and Austin interfere. It was very timely on their behalf. Hangman gets involved and alters the complexion. The Keshta rolls up Omega. So it would be Wyatt Robinson and the Keshta for the win. So that was a huge victory for Bullet Club Gold. That was a huge victory for Juice Robinson, Jay White, and Takeshita, along with Don Callis and the Gun Club, to get the win at Wembley Stadium. So, so far, you know, not not a bad matchup. I, I kind of expected this type of match between the Elite and, and uh, White and Robinson and, and having the guns involved and Don Callis, Takeshita. Uh, but the first match to me was better because I appreciate wrestling. I come from more of the traditionalist point of view, so maybe – in all fairness, that's the perspective I was looking at through that sort of lens, if you will. But still not a bad match. I said the action was very uh, well-paced and, and good. So that was a, a positive out. Some of the negative points that were part of that uh, that six-man matchup or, or part of me trios match between those two teams. So we're going to move on to our third match, AW Tag Team Champions FTR versus the Young Bucks. It's a rubber match. For me, Dax and Cash are a better team overall. It's not even close. This is going to really irk a lot of the elite fans, especially the uh, supporters of Matt and Nick Jackson. Matt and Nick can perform these high-risk maneuvers with the acrobatics involved, combining with uh, their high-risk approach and, and the super kicks and what have you. But FTR, to me, approved why they are so great. FTR wants the ground. The Bucks slow them down. Excalibur favors the Bucks. That's no surprise there. We all know they're, they're close associates. I don't want to take anything away from Matt and Nick, yet Dax and Cash Long have established themselves as legitimate. I mean, they resemble a traditional team, whether that's Arn Anderson, Tolly Blanchard from the Four Horsemen of Midnight Express, whether you liked beautiful Bobby Eaton and lover boy Dennis Country with Jim Cornette, or... Sweet Stan Lane with beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, both I th thought were terrific. But FTR in the same vein have established themselves as holding their own with anybody. And they're going to be in the discussion about, at least regarding the great tag team, some of the greatest of all times, in other words, is uh, Dax and Cash. Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood to bring some clarity to the names and with respect to those gentlemen. Also, this 
was a beautiful tribute by Dax and Cash. They wore armbands honoring Brody Lee, Bray Wyatt, and Jay Briscoe, who have uh, sadly passed. Recently, Bray Wyatt with Terry Funk and, and Brody Lee a few years back, and Jay Briscoe just recently, uh, this year, I believe, in 2023. Just hard to believe, still not over a lot of these uh, tragedies that have occurred in pro wrestling. It's very unfortunate and sad, but at least they are paying tribute to these gentlemen. Uh, the Young Bucks, I will give them props. I do like music, and the, the Freddie Mercury tribute with the ring attire was was pretty nice because uh, I'm a big Queen fan. I, I do love Freddie Mercury, one of the greatest voices in rock and roll music, and the Young Bucks, since they were in the U.K., since Queen is based out of England. Uh, I thought that was uh, pretty awesome on their part, so I, I'll give them a lot of props for that. FTR kissing Matt Jackson. Uh, that was just unbelievable because that was a good callback to when the Young Bucks would kiss their opponent before giving them the V-trigger, those uh, knees to the face. So I, I liked how FTR was playing a reverse psychology with the uh, Young Bucks, their rivals in this case. Yeah, I mean, very heated, no love loss between these teams. Whether storyline in real life, I mean, it started online, I believe, Twitter years ago, where the Young Bucks were, to me, starting it. They were running their mouth, and uh, FTR was looking to shut up those mouths. And I, I think they've proven why they elevate the Young Bucks, and they add that legitimacy to the AEW tag team division. Hey, it's my opinion. It's my review. So there you go. A little truth for you, and I think I think a lot of people see the truth. It, it's pretty obvious. I mean, the young bucks can do their their little spots and stuff, but it's are they actually going to tell the story? Or are they going to have a wrestling match? Or are we just going to jump up and down and and do a whole bunch of super kicks with no meaning? That's a little harsh, is it not? But after the way they've acted, I've tried to give them a little bit of leniency, but they're they're acting very immature. Where FTR to me show a lot more class, and they're the real deal. They're true examples of what tag team wrestling should and always entails. What tag team wrestling should be. I got a little ahead of myself, so pardon me there. But Axe and Cash, what would uh, happen next? They executed the Shatter Machine. The Bucks would hit uh, FTR's finisher because that was not enough earlier to finish off the uh, Young Bucks. FTR hitting the Shatter Machine, and then the Bucks hit the the Shatter Machine to FTR. Let me back up a little bit. And another Shatter Machine, though, by Dax and Cash would assist them, and FTR would retain and win the matchup, and they are still the AEW Tag Team Champions. I was surprised. I was thinking, oh, here we go. The Young Bucks are going to win the AEW World Tag Team titles, but I am so relieved that it was FTR who would retain the belts. And when FTR tried to uh, extend their hands out of sportsmanship to the Young Bucks, uh, Matt and Nick, neither one would not comply. So who cares? I'm just glad FTR won the match. So we're going to move on from that. That, that was a pretty good matchup. I'll, I'll give uh, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, and this match uh, a lot of respect. Nothing against the trios match. Like I said, there were certain spots that were okay. But if I'm going to be honest, as a wrestling fan, the two uh, matches that had Punk and Joe and then this tag team title match with FTR, the Young Bucks, and it was mainly because of FTR. I'm not trying to discount the Young Bucks involvement, but it you got to be kidding yourself if you're going to tell me it was the Young Bucks. This was all because of FTR. That, that's just me. It's my opinion. And I'll stand by it. 
Okay, next, uh, this was a letdown stadium stampede match. John Moxley, Mike Santana, Yuta Wheeler, Ortiz, and Claudio Casanoli versus Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, Penta, Trent Beretta, and Chuck Taylor, the best friends. Uh, Tony Schiavone would take over for Jim Ross. So that was interesting. You had substitutes for the broadcasters uh, throughout the night. And I like seeing Mike Santana and Ortiz return. I don't know that they're still getting along. They they made the best of it here, at least. They fooled me. Uh, John Moxley, we shouldn't know, was going to bleed. This is his style. And I like Eddie Kingston, but he also enjoys this kind of uh, stipulation. And, and to see Claudio involved was a little bit of a letdown after what you've seen previously with his work, whether Ring of Honor or WWE. And uh, you just picked somebody to fight. I mean, there, this was not a typical wrestling match. It was a stadium stampede. Didn't matter whether you had Jericho, Matt Hardy. We we should know. Even with different competitors, it's all going to just involve trash cans, be a just chaos, a mess. So it was hard to keep up with. I did like the split screen. It made sense because you had a lot going on backstage. They, they fought all through the crowd. I mean, just everywhere throughout Wembley Stadium. So I guess I, I could see the entertainment value with these gimmicky type matchups, but it just was, there was just no story to it. It was just like, let's, let's fill the card, even on a pay-per-view as important as uh, all in. So, and I'm just not a fan of these. So it, it's a niche for somebody else though. So you got to have that variety. I, I do concur. So for that, it probably was good for somebody. Uh, I did not care for it. But Kingston charged Claudio. We know they don't like each other in reality. So even in storyline here, they, they the target was Kingston going after Claudio. And uh, Santana and Ortiz give off a dangerous vibe. They're the street mentality like Eddie Kingston. Uh, I like these guys, but I'm not so sure how they're going to be by getting placed with the uh, Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, but it may be a good way to freshen up their characters. I, I'm not sure where they're going with it. But I do want to say I like those two guys, Santana and Ortiz. I'm all about the uniqueness, and and I think that's why Eddie Kingston stands out to me, even though I, I didn't like this matchup. Of course, Mox comes with the branding iron, which I thought was a, a nice tribute to Terry Funk. So for all the flack that I give John Moxley, I will say that was a, a nice uh, way to honor Terry Funk. Maybe not the matchup, but at least the branding iron. Uh, Penta, he uh, takes out LAX, that's uh, who Ortiz and Santana used to be known as. I, I still refer to them sometimes as LAX. They had Conan back in Impact Wrestling. Uh, Penta takes them out with a silk chair, and there, there's just a lot more brawling. Um, Moxley has skewers. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Go back and watch it, or you can view the clips on YouTube or, or see it on social media via Twitter or just the internet in general, where Moxley actually used skewers. And uh, Moxley, of course, he's bleeding. Casanoli fights Kingston in the stands. There, there's more with them involved. Penta was pal-drive by Santana. Pardon me. I, I've got to write down these better. I think that's what's kind of messing me up a little bit. Moxley attacks Orange Cassidy. Don't forget about him, circa a fork. Trying to uh, channel Abdullah the Butcher, I guess. And um, I'll tell you, I'm just uh, bewildered by all this getting mixed in. It's just frequent chaos proceeds. Uh, I don't know how to really take notes or highlight anything that I just enjoyed or found uh, interesting. 
then we see Trent's mom, Sue, pull up in the stadium in a minivan. And okay, whatever. Penta's uh, dark side, because he got injured earlier. Now he comes back out in the red uh, jumpsuit or something. I, I don't know. Too much uh, nonsense. Not enough story. Uh, Cassidy levels Claudio with orange punches. Cassidy, Penta, and best friends, and Kingston win. And I think Moxley kissed uh, Sue, who's Trent's mom, in the minivan, and that made Trent mad, which is understandable. I mean, Excalibur was correct. That would infuriate me. And then then we see Moxley uh, get some baked home goods that she cooked on her, an oven sheet, a baking sheet, per se. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was comedic. Uh, but And I like comedy, just not with uh, a serious issue that involves my wrestling. So you're not going to win me over there. And now we get to the uh, the four-way AEW Women's Championship match. Thank God we can move on from the stadium stampede match. Any excuse we can to transition away from that. But we see the champion, Hikaru Shida versus Tony Storm and Soraya and Dr. Britt Baker. Was not impressed with the matchup, if I'm going to be honest. But I did feel uh, very happy. No, I was very happy. Let me go back and correct myself. I'll do my own edits here. I was happy for Soraya to come out to Queen's We Will Rock You once again. Nice way to involve Queen into the event. It's in the UK. Why not? One of the greatest bands ever with uh, Queen, who we're uh, talking about, with the Knight family, with uh, that's Soraya's family. So I thought that was a, a touching moment. And she's in her home country. And Storm's glamorous character has been terrific. Let me say this. I like the starlet kind of get up. She's a very attractive, lovely woman. Her and Juice Robinson getting to be in the same company is cool. I believe they are actually married or have been a couple for a while. I'd have to. Somebody can help correct me there. I should have done more research. Hello. And uh, I'll tell you, there were still some good points in the match. Tony attacked Baker at Soraya. Took out Sheeta because they are part of the outcasts. There was some double team going on. That wasn't bad. Sheeta, let me say, she's done a pretty good job as AEW Women's Champion. Remember the pandemic era, that would have been difficult, not having fans for her to carry the title. But I think other than that and this continuation and giving her the moment, which was which seemed like a kind gesture by AEW to have she to be the champion when we did get people returning and being able to attend live events or programming for her to be the women's champion. I mean, she didn't do a bad job there either, but it still didn't resonate like it would when Jamie Hayter had it. I knew injuries got in the way. That was a lot of the, the reasoning and motivation why uh, Hayter couldn't continue. And, and like with Thunder Rosa, I'm, I'm a big fan of Thunder Rosa and Jamie Hayter. You know, Soraya's, been pretty good, but to me, it's Tony Storm, and she's the one that's uh, the star that stands out. Even Dr. Britt Baker, as, as much as she's been the face and seems to be the franchise for all elite wrestling, this women's division, it's been a little bit sloppy, if I'm going to be honest. And uh, I know I'm going to catch flack for all of these statements, but guess what? I love you. I respect you, but respectfully, I don't care. It's my take. It's my perspective. It is what it is. Uh, calls it as a sees it. There you go. And then we see Saray and Tony Storm argue. So there's some dissension among the ranks regarding the outcasts over 
who pinned Dr. Britt Baker to possibly become the new AEW Women's Champion. Hopefully, I'm recounting all these moments uh, accurately. Gita incorporates uniqueness concerning her presentation in the ring. Soraya, her mom helps. It was, an, uh, it was a good way to involve Mrs. Knight until Baker ducks and Tony Storm hits her. So that makes things worse for the two friends here. But there's there can be no friendships when you're wanting to win a, any kind of title, especially a women's championship. Come on. And then Soraya chases Tony Storm and, and proceeds to fight her. Ruby Soho comes out. This was a little bit puzzling to me. And then Storm hits her. I, I kind of miss what uh, transpired there. Uh, the match was a bit messy, not together. Uh, Soraya spray paints Tony Storm and hits her finisher to become the new women's champion. I will say it, congratulations are in order, and I am happy for Soraya, even though I was critical of the matchup. But I was glad to see her get her moment in the UK at Wembley Stadium in AEW. You know, I was happy for Soraya, just not overly fond of the matchup. But I, I'm missing uh, Jamie Hayter. Uh, get well and please come back. And I, I like a lot of the women that are on the collision roster, Mercedes Martinez, Sky Blue that we've seen on Dynamite 2, Chris Statlander, the TBS women's champion. I love what they're doing with her. So there, there's some good stuff that they're doing, you know, as far as their women's roster. But this is going to sound tribalistic, but this is where WWE has got an advantage because of the experience and the training. They, they tend to do it right with the women's division, at least most of the time with their stars. And that's where AW it's been glaring the observations and the critiques and why some fans like myself have not been just uh, enamored by the women's division, Tony storm. There's been some bright spots, but there's been a lot of uh, negatives that I see. So I, I'm cheering for everybody. You know, they got Ty Valkyrie. They, they got a lot of experience or at least some experience. I shouldn't say a lot, uh, but they've got at least some with the experience factor when we're uh, talking AW women's division and roster in general. Next, we get the coffin match sting and Darby Allen versus Swerve Strickland taking on Christian with Luchasaurus. And uh, of course, Christian is wearing the TNT championship. Luchasaurus is actually the real TNT world champion. So that Christian has just been fantastic as a heel I mean, his promos have been controversial, stepping over the line. Man, when Christian needs to turn it on, he knows how to do that. And I've just been enjoying what Christian has been able to portray on camera. And uh, I'm loving it uh, from what we're uh, witnessing from Christian. And the rappers for Swerve were not very good compared to what we're going to see later. Uh, don't forget about Prince Nana. I like Sting and Darby. Uh, the pre-video on the Titan Tron where it depicted them or, or showed them in all actuality in the Whitechapel District where Jack the Ripper. Uh, I know that's he's not somebody to praise, but it's part of history. Uh, it's an unfortunate part of history. But that, that's where these two were when speaking of the icon Sting and Darby Allen, this association. And I think it has been good for both Sting and Darby Allen. But Sting, to me, should be the guy advising Darby not to do some of these these bumps and, and stunts that he does. But I, I realize that's what fans love to see with Darby Allen, and now they're expecting it with Sting. And to me, I've, I've been a little bit hesitant with Sting about, especially if you looked at the fall he took off the ladder, what caused him to chip his tooth or 
I think what he was betraying in the promo afterwards and, and everybody's kind of worried because we, we saw what happened with Seth Rollins in the buckle bomb and with the spinal injury. I don't know what it, it was called. Uh, somebody else can help me out there. I need a research team, apparently. Uh, but either way, it's just, uh, I've been a, like, Sting, please. No, no. But I, I got to admire to be 64 years old and like Jericho, a lot of these guys, they are impressive at what they're able to accomplish. So I can't take anything away from Sting. I do have concerns for uh, the Stinger. But let's get to the match. You know, Sting, well, before we get to the match, Sting has a good English accent. And then he he goes back into his normal American accent. It was more the Joker Sting, kind of reminiscent of the TNA days, kind of trying to be Jack Nicholson or whoever you like playing the Joker. You know, some people either enjoyed it like anything or they didn't. But, hey, Sting, this shows a different side of his character, so I don't mind it. I, I prefer the surface Sting, kind of the Crow Sting. But, hey, the Joker Sting's okay for what it is. Uh, Metallica's Seek and Destroy. Remember the latter days of WCW, Sting was coming out to Metallica. He was a big fan of Metallica. And, hey, I, I like Metallica. And it gets the it gets the crowd hyped up. They're They're ready to go. They're... It gets them up a little better. You, that's the hope. Uh, Swerve and Bushes on the Icon Sting, and Christian Cage at first had locked eyes with Sting. I'm going back and forth. For, forgive me for the randomness. It's the way I've wrote these notes. I blame myself. Darby went after Cage. Sting would take none and swerve out with a cricket bat, which was clever. Sting and Darby were thumbtack jackets. Christian assisted Strickland and targeted Sting's leg, which I thought was brilliant strategy to take down the Icon. Christian ties up Darby Allen and Sting splashes Swerve through the table, but the uh, table doesn't break. So Sting, what does he do? He goes back and tries it again, drops the elbow onto Swerve through the table. This time it breaks. So it, it was a third time. It was doing it the second time was the charm, as the Oak cliche goes. Uh, Luchasaurus comes out to save Christian. Nick Wayne gets involved. This was all part of the issue between Christian and, and Darby Allen, Luchasaurus, and, and Swerve Strickland and Sting, all the participants involved. Uh, Nick Wayne would hit Luchasaurus with a skateboard, but then the big dinosaur uh, choke slams Darby, or excuse me, Nick Wayne on the skateboard. Darby misses the coffin drop on the coffin. Not a good sign if you're trying to win the coffin match. Swerve missed the 450 splash on the coffin. Uh, no wonder these guys are injured. I mean, it's. That's where I would question some of these kind of gimmick matches. Uh, you know, as much as I like Sting, I, I like Darby, I like Christian Cage, and I like Swerve Strickland, but uh, this is this can get a, to be a little too much and get carried away at times. So Darby, you know, lands a coffin drop on Swerve. He's in the coffin, and then they finally get Swerve in the coffin as he's fighting naturally to escape, and it would be Sting and D Darby winning the match. So, you know, I, I got to be critical on how many risks they do. Cause especially you think about sting and I just talked about it after mention, you got Darby Allen who I admire the moxie, the fearlessness, but come on, even with him, it, it was yet for a young athlete, then Nick Wayne. And is he ready? Luchasaurus. I, I realize this opens up a loophole for him to interfere. And you've got Swerve Strickland, Nana's out there as a factor. And, Christian Cage, as much as I, I respect him, it's just, I would just assume have a regular tag team match. Why do we have to have a coffin match? Once again, another gimmick. You, 
I don't dislike every gimmick match, but when does it become too gimmicky? That would that would be some of my criticism. So I have to be fair in my critique of this match, just like with the Stadium Stampede matchup earlier on. Next, we get, I think, easily one of the better matches of the night, if not the best, Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay. And at first, Jericho performs with Judas, uh, performs with Bossy, pardon me, singing Judas. That's how I had it written down. Tyler, go back to spelling class. That's a knock on me. I'm, I'm laughing about that. Uh, Sammy Guevara enters with him. Uh, of course, you got w- the fans in Wembley singing along to Judas. Uh, I was happy for Jericho to get the moment. Uh, Don Callis flanks Will Ospreay. And this would be where Will Ospreay was more the, the baby face, where Chris Jericho would have to be more the heel, even though that's not how they built this matchup. But you've got Ospreay in his home country. So I, I was happy for Will Ospreay. And they showed footage of Jericho attacking Osprey at RevPro, the promotion in the UK the night before, which I thought was a nice angle. Taz uh, is now on commentary for Tony, another substitution during the broadcast. And Osprey's agility amazes. I mean, it's just so explosive. His aerial combat, Jericho fights back. Jericho, I was just in awe of his performance with this matchup. And he, he holds his own in this particular encounter. A nasty German suplex from Y2J. Yes, I, I call him Y2J still. Uh, on Osprey. Osprey constantly moving. Uh, definitely, you couldn't get bored with the movement of the match, the pacing overall. Jericho performing the Hurl Karana. Then Osprey, you know, that was just awesome. The Hurl Karana on Osprey was, was just awesome, is what I put down. Good reversals during the match. Callis is up on the apron. Sammy Guevara nails Osprey with the bat. Did they still name it Floyd? Jericho went heel, as I said, and Osprey switched to the hero, the babyface. After two Stormbreakers, Osprey defeated Jericho. So it was nice to see that Osprey went over and won the matchup. And then afterwards, Jericho walks away from Sammy Guevara. So still some unknowns. I didn't get a chance to view Dynamites afterwards, so I'm sure they told more of that story. But I'm only reviewing All In right now, currently. Nigel McGinnis announces that the attendance is 81,035 fans. So, once again, very impressive. Uh, I want to congratulate AEW on uh, being able to get a, a sellout at Wembley Stadium. A lot of people were critical and did not think it would happen due to them not in, you know, due to them not announcing matches uh, sooner. So we get a trios championship matchup: the House of Black versus the acclaimed Billy Gunn, the acclaimed Max Caster, Anthony Bowens with Billy Gunn. It's a house rules match. Buddy Matthews uh, held a lantern. I thought it was a beautiful tribute to Bray Wyatt. Uh, all the people lit up their phones while it was dark, had the fireflies. It, it was just reminiscent of the uh, classic Bray Wyatt entrances into uh, the arena. So, And it's also wonderful universally that all these promotions in pro wrestling are respecting and honoring and remembering Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk and, and all these who have passed, it, sadly, and... Uh, I just thought that was a, a very wonderful gesture by uh, 
Buddy Matthews and House of Black and AEW overall. So we get Max Caster rocking his rapping, which I think is always entertaining. What a wordsmith Max Caster is. Anthony Bowens always announces the town. And I'm not sure if he did it here or not. Uh, we get more of the serious Billy Gunn, not the scissoring uh, kind of Billy Gunn, uh, concerning his persona. Malachi Black thrills with his quickness. I mean, for a guy that size, the move that abrupt is truly astonishing. Matthews takes flight. Brody King is another big guy. You got two big gentlemen between he and Billy Gunn. Julia Hart slaps Billy Gunn. She gets involved. And Billy says, suck it, reminiscent of his Degeneration X days. The acclaimed Scissor Julia, I have to laugh because even Taz didn't know what to say on commentary if you see the move. And uh, that was interesting, to say the least. Uh, Mercedes Monet gets close-ups as she attended the event from New Japan Pro Wrestling, former WWE star Sasha Banks, now known as Mercedes Monet. So it makes you wonder what her future holds. Is it going to be AEW? I mean, the way she was attending and they were having the cameras get a shot of her, which I thought was brilliant on their part. Bowens uh, progresses nicely regarding this encounter. Gun fought off Matthews and Black together. Everyone clashed. Brody accidentally hit Black with the chain. Julia Hart pulled Aubrey Edwards, the referee, out of the ring following three separate famousers by the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. Gunn withstood Black's the end finisher. Another famouser in mic drop by Billy Gunn and the acclaimed. And the acclaimed and Billy Gunn win. They are the new AEW World Trio champions. And the House of Black would award the titles to the new champs, showing some respect, which we have not seen. They had been fierce uh, rivals for a long time. And they have a party. Speaking of the proclaimed, Bowen's actually proclaims it's a scissor me daddy party and Billy Gunn, Max Kasser and Anthony Bowens are your new AEW trios champions. And now we get to the main event of the main card. It's AEW world champion MJF defending against Adam Cole. The bromance may not last, or at least there's been little nuances and, and teases. They they've done this storytelling. Well, even if you can get past the, uh, the hokiness of some of the comedic elements, which I think, it's not always a bad thing because you have to show MJF's change of character. And also you can you need to include Adam Cole in that conversation. Earlier, the two defeated Ozzy Open. I may have said this before as part of the zero hour YouTube special to become the Ring of Honor tag team champions. And what I thought was just fantastic was MJF's entrance wearing the uh, the mask and then having the ladies bow down, worship him. And then here comes his real theme. I mean, MJF just knows how to do it. I'm, I'm just a big uh, proponent of MJF. I was going to say, fan, that, that all works and correlates. Both wrestlers uh, were sporting new shirts. Uh, I think the, the broadcasters were re relaying the story of it's going to be a fair fight. That's because they still have an admiration for each other, but you didn't know if somebody was going to turn on the other because we know how MJF has been in the past. He he can tease that he can be likable, but then you despise him when it's over. Or you actually love him because he's that good. The wit, his psychology, the mind games that he can play, and, and Adam Cole too. And Cole and MJF are, are talking. They exchange words. 
they have a standoff and exchange holds to kind of start off the match. The champ is, is strutting. They they say it's the Fargo strut, which I think is nice when you, you pay tribute to the greats that have laid the groundwork before you. So I liked how in commentary they mentioned uh, the Fargo strut that MJF was doing. And Cole played uh, the mind games, as I've mentioned, the whole uh, mental psychological warfare that that is a part of pro wrestling. MJF uh, showed shades of his older self, which I thought were an interesting twist to the matchup. It provoked uh, Adam Cole, at least in, in certain ways. Cole, you know, would uh, go after MJF, and Cole actually, you know, would uh, attack MJF is, is what I'm saying. Cole starts gaining an advantage, and Adam used the referee to help his efforts. So you kind of see where Adam Cole was going to bend the rules. So once again, fascinating to see how this all uh, developed with this main event matchup. There was just a, a lot of nuances mixed in, intricacies, which I liked during this matchup. So Cole, uh, quick strikes, kept MJF off balance. The shirt is taken off by Adam Cole, and here comes MJF back getting momentum. MJF bites Adam Cole. MJF executes a dive to Cole. I like the back-and-forth segments, the pinning attempts. It kept you engaged and guessing. The challenger pulled out creative tactics when referencing Adam Cole. Uh, he also displayed compassion through competitiveness via a wicked-looking suplex on still steps. Uh, did Adam Cole. MJF questions himself when uh, going through with a power driver onto the, uh, you know, onto the announce desk, excuse me, yet he, he wasted too much time and Adam Cole ended up doing the power driver on MJF instead on the broadcast table. We get more of the back and forth responses and they're excellent. As I've said before, a double pin. And then we get, it's a draw MJF retains, but Cole demands five more minutes. Remember the first encounter they had, it, it ended, it ended in a time limit draw. Let me try to say that a, a couple times fast and Cole demanded five more minutes. This was, uh, like I said, just a nice callback to their last match. MJF denied it, but then said sudden death. So he kind of teased like how he, he was going to do it before when he was more the hill MJF, but being, you know, the fair guy that he is now turning over the new leaf, he, uh, he would agree to give him more time and that it's not going to end this way. And it looked like it was going to be a near fall. And I can't remember if it was Adam Cole or MJF who got the near fall. I just I had near fall written down. It's hard to keep up, I'm telling you, when you're actually doing notes and stuff, even watching it without notes, uh, per se. But the, the referee goes down. I think it was Bryce Remsburg was the official. MJF grabs a silk chair, and he and Adam Cole are both trying to do the Eddie Guerrero, which I thought was a, a nice tribute to Latino Heat himself, Eddie Guerrero. Cole with a, a straight jacket on MJF on the apron, you know, apron first was an explosive move. MJF pulled the ref in the way of Cole's Panama Sunrise. MJF has the, the dynamite ring and he's conflicted. Roderick Strong low blows MJF because we all know there's been some, uh, some tension between the former Undisputed Era members with Roderick Strong and Adam Cole. Cole had it one, but no ref and another near fall, Cole takes the shirt off, so it was actually MJF who took the shirt off first. Let me correct that earlier where I misspoke. And MJF teases using the belt. I got ahead of myself, which I do a lot of times. 
and Strong walks out, but he doesn't use the belt, and MJF gets the inside credit and still retains your AEW World Heavyweight Champion, as I'm trying to remember, and even with written notes, is MJF. And uh, MJF is afterwards is encouraging Adam Cole, who's emotional. He wanted to win the match and become the World Heavyweight Champion for the brand. MJF then grabbed the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles, and Cole knocked the belts away. He's still not happy. Cole, he's hitting MJF with a the belt. They embraced, and the kingdom have to restrain Roderick Strong afterwards. So there you have it, the main card as it concludes. I hope you've enjoyed it. This has been the second episode of Tyler's Takedowns via the SJP World Media Network. I'm your host, Tyler Peters. I don't know if I even introduced myself to begin the, this podcast. So, gosh, I'm forgetting a lot right now, and I should have, even with a reference in front of me with these notes. My goodness. But I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you could follow along. And uh, I just want to thank my good friend, Saab Powell, the producer, and the one giving me the opportunity. Uh, and my good friend, Benny Mack, who uh, is taking time away. He'll be back within the corner. I hope to collab with him some. But he he does solo so tremendously that he doesn't need anybody. He he really is a superstar. And, and Scottish Danny, who will be back shortly, who does a fantastic job and all the amazing programs at SJP World Media. Let me shout them out. I'm so happy and thrilled to see my good friend Josh Jabord, his sister Yvonne, his friend uh, Chuck. Sometimes he's called Ben, but I love you, buddy, because uh, it seems like he's got a lot of gimmicks himself. But that's R-S-H, because I never can pronunciate their, their full podcast name. Always am afraid I'm going to slaughter that. So that's why I say the initials. But they, they have a great podcast. I was so happy to see them return and back in action, if you will. And uh, check out WrestleBuddy. Want to plug them? They're, they're also a great team that I have the honor of uh, writing and contributing with and also with podcasting. So want to give them their props and uh, also SJP World Media and, and you all, the listeners. And remember, you can listen to Tyler's Takedowns and so many of their podcasts, whether it's Nitro Nights or it's Chain Wrestling or it's you name it. I mean, they've got a lot of non-wrestling-related podcasts as well as plenty of wrestling discussions related to their individual, or maybe it's they've got several co-hosts on their podcast. I can't even keep up. I just know it's good stuff, and that's the SJP World Media Network. That's why I want to be repetitive and get the point across. But I'm Tyler, and uh, I want to thank you all for listening. This has been the second episode of Tyler's Takedowns. Uh, we recapped AW All In. Stay safe out there. Until the next time, farewell for now.